I've got to avoid legal snags by telling you I'm recording you. I can see now because it's just told me on the... working on today then i'm just trying to finish off uh, carving the heel of this guitar neck um which i will what wood is it cedrella oh actually no this is this one isn't it's african mahogany this one from where do you source that well there are tonewood suppliers uh, uh musical instrument makers i got this one online actually from a guy i bought stuff for from before the, the problem with choosing wood and the reason why i got this one is that the Spanish cedar that uh, is the kind of the standard for making flamenco and classical guitar necks is increasingly restricted and, you know, protected. And so I was looking for an alternative to substitute it that was seen as uh, yeah, abundant and the African mahogany. And to be honest, it's almost identical to the Spanish cedar in, in its kind of look and feel and it carves just the same. It's just the same weight. So I think I'll use this from now on. Do you have to kind of make some decisions about the kind of tonality it will give the instrument? So this is a flamenco guitar and I want to make it as light as I possibly can, preferably around 1100 grams for the entire guitar strung up. So um, every bit of wood I choose, I am thinking about the weight of it. And this uh, mahogany thesis is lightweight. And it also, because uh, this is one part of the guitar that you carve, and you know I've got knife and chisel here, um, you want a wood that is easy or at least open to being carved and not being too much hard work and, you know, not with too much complex grain. You just want something that the knife is going to go through nice and easily. Uh, and this uh, wood is good for that. Is the lockdown a good thing for you then? Because you can kind of spend more time crafting in your shed, making things. How, is it helping with the lockdown? No, the lockdown hasn't made any difference to my uh, free time. It's a Sunday. That's why I'm doing it. But also, um, I've actually... In, previously booked two weeks leave over Easter so I've got two weeks ahead of me where I want to finish making this guitar but the lockdown in terms of my working hours and daily routine has barely changed what I do most of what I did was sat at a desk or uh, teaching online um, or supervising online so no I, I'm not I'm not one of those people that uh, have all of a sudden found themselves with lots of time on the hand. I've booked some holiday. I'm knackered. <laughs> You're like, knackered? Yeah. There's too much going on. There's, yeah. there's, there's there's a bit of mutual aid locally and there's and there's calls with 
uh, various people. There's there's still some teaching and assessment and marking. I've I've written something like fifteen thousand words in the last sort of ten days. Yeah, you know, so I have book leave as well, where I'm going to just sit in my front room down. So I'm going to move from the back room to the yeah, front room. Yeah. My studies out the back. I'm going to move to the lounge, and I'm going to. Mm-hmm. I've got three books by um, football writer Jonathan Wilson. Does some really really interesting take on football. You know, it's kind of he's kind of thinking about systems and modes of play, but he's thinking about them culturally, historically. You know, what are the what are the kind of forces that have led the Hungarians to, to, to through in the post-war period to have this particular world-beating kind of approach to football that reinvents the game, and then a sort of a history of Argentina as Argentinian football in relation to kind of the development of the Argentinian nation. So that's what I'm going to go and read for for a week or so. Nice. I've been mainly reading stuff online just to try and understand what's going on, I suppose. I've got an article I've got to finish off. Which is about what? The history of classical guitar making in this country. Uh, I've just got to make some revisions and then send send the final version in. How do your work describe the fact that you moved your research from critique of higher ed and cooperativism and cooperative higher education through to, you know, this sort of, history and craft and pedagogy of guitar making yeah i just turned around and said this is what i'm researching now and uh, i got support for that one way or another been working on the co-op stuff and higher ed stuff for nine years so uh, no one could turn around and say i hadn't uh, put time and effort into it and that's an impact case study right yeah yeah that's another thing that i'm working on um you know, with Mike Neer, of course. You know, the, the, the co-op research had a life of its own, really, in terms of it being put into practice um, by the co-op college and, and other uh, people and organisations. I felt like uh, I'd given it all I could for the time being. And it just so happens that I was starting to make guitars and obviously you can't, I don't know about you, but I can't do anything without kind of also thinking about it in academic terms as well. And so I started trying to collect research that had taken place on luthery and guitar making in particular, uh, and in this country uh, even more so. Uh, And actually there's nothing really, there's nothing, there's no um, research about 20th century guitar making in Britain or, or really anywhere in the world um, in the English language at least there's a nice book by an anthropologist Catherine Dudley I think and she wrote a nice book on North American guitar makers a few years ago but because I work in a school of education and I'd just been taught to make a guitar by Roy Courtnell uh, over the course of six months and kind of talked to him a, a lot about the teaching and learning of it I took an educational focus and tried to think of you know what what angle I could really come at it from uh, and it seemed to be three different approaches one was his, the history of it just to try and figure out when and who and why the other was the biographical side of things talking to makers about how they learned who they learned from whether they were self-taught autodidacts which is very common and the third angle was a case study of Newark College where they teach musical instrument making and and in particular they teach guitar making alongside violin and woodwind and piano so uh, and Newark's nearby so um so yeah for the last couple of years I think now I've been doing 
case study of Newark, I've interviewed uh, 40 guitar makers, um, biographical interviews around the country. And I've just finished writing this history article. When you've interviewed those 40, yeah. what have you learned? They almost exclusively work at home. They are all working alone, I think without exception. Often in a shed like this or in a small workshop or even in a converted room in their home. They are doing it for the love of it. Not all of them are making a living from it. About 60%. That was another thing I did. I surveyed all the classical guitar makers in this country. There's about 100 of them. And the survey showed me who was making a living from it or not and how they learned and their educational background and that kind of thing. There's an interesting question around kind of amateur and professional status and actually whether it matters. So, yeah, some people who are able to or want to uh, are making a living out of it. You know, it's uh, handmade objects, whatever they are. You know, a few people are getting rich through that. So most people are making a very, very modest income from it, often supplemented by their partner's income. Many of them are self-taught. A lot of the people that did go to college to learn instrument making go on to teach themselves not teach themselves, although they do teach themselves, but teach other people. You know, there seems to be something there where, where people who have received a formal education in it uh, are more likely to then go on to offer a formal education to other people. And people get better at it by repetition and what motivates them to keep doing the same thing over and over again is that, well, partly it's never the same thing over and over again because they're unique handmade objects. So there's always something very fresh and alive about the process but also because there's people are seeking constant improvement to their work and their practice and their understanding of of the materials and what it can produce and do you think because obviously we spent quite a lot of quite a lot of time thinking about um all this stuff you know making and production and craft and all of that in terms of capital and value and labor how do you think about it categorically? So, well, of course, that was another thing that got me interested in this, was the craft as a form of work. And to what extent um, it is autonomous work. It's, it's not uh, factory production, or at least not the version I'm looking at. People are making a living, but they are, there are better ways to make a living if you want to um, make money but they're not uh, in it just to make money. It seems to be a a form of work, you know, albeit extremely exclusive. If you think there's only 100 people in this country making classical guitars, you know, and then there's obviously more doing steel strings and electrics, but we're still talking about a tiny, tiny number of people who are are doing this. I I suppose I I had in my mind Andre Gortz's idea about, you know, work which... Oh, what's the phrases he use? Heteronymous and autonomous, I think. You know, work that we have to do because it's got to be done and we have to earn a wage and we have to subsist. And then work and other activities that we do uh, are more autonomous, less directed by necessity. And so I was interested in, in this as a, an example of to what extent it is autonomous work, to what extent it is necessary work, whether in fact those categories actually apply to something like this, um, whether this is a 
a different way of thinking about work. I'm not sure yet because I haven't sat down and analysed all of the, the data and interviews that I've um, collected. But How do you view it then alongside the work that you have to do in the university? How does it, because when you were speaking, I was thinking about the ecosystem of kind of a potential ecosystem of life, you know, which is some of this work, some of the work at the institution, how they interconnect, whether you can widen the space for the thing that gives you the yeah. potentially is less alienating over which you've got more autonomy, more control. You can define the hours and what you do and yeah. the creativity and the creative content. And then, as you say, the fact that you have to pay, pay your mortgage and put food on the table and all of that and how does it map against the rest of the, the thing the way in which your family works and operates and all of that yeah, is interesting so it is yeah so okay so to me personally you know i've only been doing this since summer 2017 and um in in most ways in many ways it's a hobby you know i'm in my shed on a sunday morning doing what lots of other blokes around the country are probably doing so in that respect it's just a hobby but you know as I said it quickly became a research interest and, and formerly a research project and the university gave me a couple of thousand pounds to pay for my travel around the country to interview people and that kind of thing so it is a formal research project now which I'm having to kind of demonstrate that I'm working on but in terms of my own work at the university, well, it completely revitalised it. it. It gave me uh, much needed kind of energy. You know, all of a sudden, once this had uh, got off the ground, you know, I was I was waking up wanting to work on it. I was working on it in terms of research, you know, evenings and weekends. Uh, and, and the fact that it was also kind of feeding into my waged work, my research well, it was good. It was it was giving meaning to a part of the work, which you know, as the the co-op research was tailing off, I was it was beginning to feel well. I, I suppose I was beginning to question, you know, what I was doing really, going to work, and then um, you know, I created this. Did you feel that the um, the co-op stuff had kind of for you personally had run its course because it, it was it was moving to an in, to a potentially interesting next phase where where the where the co-op college attempts to create a you know an autonomous kind of federated co-op university structure yeah, yeah. you know but do you, had you yeah, felt yeah. that you couldn't be part of that or that you'd done the groundwork and now you wanted to renew yourself in another way yeah the latter really and also mike who i'd always worked on the, the co-op stuff you know this was timed as well with his retirement and he had more time to devote to working with the co-op college and he became the chair of the interim academic board so it, it wasn't like it was just dropped because basically it might carried on with it uh, and, and Mike and I would talk regularly about it but yeah I'd I'd kind of given it all I had for the time being and also you just want to see what other people will do with it you want to see where it goes and step back and just let it breathe a bit I think that's a really interesting way of putting it, if only because it reminds me when you were speaking that, you know, I kind of led the Walsall Supporters Trust, you know, that we were, we were, we were constituted as a kind of members, company limited by guarantee, but we're moving towards a kind of uh, community interest company, yeah. democratic, and that, that, that kind of ended after a decade, and, and I always felt, I mean, it ended for lots of lots of reasons, but, but I, I don't suppose I'd ever thought about it in those terms, and when I kind of, you know, when you end being a 
school governor and when you end as a trustee of a homeless shelter or whatever it is all the idea that it's, it needs to breathe on its own and it'll either run or it won't but if it only relies on you then it was never really very sustainable but also yeah. that it can't just be driven by you you know no well it, it was never driven just by me but yeah no, I, I, I agree um there, there was no need for me to keep working on it because it, it was in good hands you know there are there are people working really hard on it. So yeah, you know, I was I was saying to Scylla, I, I suppose I could have stuck around and turned it into some kind of evaluation of, of it. You know, I'm just not into that that, that kind of research really. It would be worth evaluating in a few years' time. But uh, the idea that go in and start interviewing people and uh, trying to come up with some metric or evaluation about yeah. whether it's been you know it's just nonsense. So it, it just needs time. You know, it needs people to to work work things out. You know, maybe maybe I'll go back to it in a few years if. Uh... It's like a sourdough starter, isn't it? It's got to, you know what I mean. It's got to sort of do its stuff. That's right. It's exactly like a sourdough starter, Richard. <laughs> um, I saw your sourdough uh, turned out pretty well on uh, Instagram. Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. It was a bit dense. It's spelt, you know, spelt's got a different kind of, you know, it's kind of the, the kind of gluten works in a different way. So you've got to be careful not to overwork it when you're kneading. So I've got to do a bit more. Uh, you've got to trial and error these things, haven't you? Yeah. It's you know, exactly so it. so it's kind of playing around, but it gives you something to do. There's something about making, I think, getting your hands dirty in whatever way that feels quite important. Working with your hands. Yeah. There's something about that. Have you always done that? You've always tinkered with your bike and stuff, haven't you? And Yeah, so um, the shed I'm working in, my dad constructed and used to restore antique furniture in. I grew up, you know, in a house. Well, actually, I grew up in many houses because basically we would move into a house, bought cheap, do it up and uh, before too long, sell it and move into another one. So because my, my dad was a kind of small time self-employed builder and carpenter. So um, I grew up working for my dad all my teenage years, every weekend and holidays, kind of labouring for him and using basic tools and things like that. You know, I built bikes and my current bike is completely built from scratch. Every nut and bolt I chose which to use and you know thought about the overall design but nothing like what i'm doing now with the guitars you know nothing as careful and fine kind of handwork is is required and I, you know i'm still learning that really got a long way to go before i'm satisfied with the use of my hands for guitar making and what triggered the guitar making why guitar um, the guitar well i i used to play guitar as a teenager electric guitar and then um i had a breakdown in 2015 end of 2015 all the best people have breakdowns yeah yeah well i i you know i saw that you'd had one or two actually and i thought well i couldn't let you get away with that what can you know about yourself in the world if you haven't had a breakdown that's what i always think yeah well i think there's some truth in that it obviously uh they're you know a difficult time but uh and uh you know you, you go for therapy and they're talking about how you can kind of uh, fill your life with things that you enjoy and they're not necessarily putting pressure on you in terms of trying to achieve anything you know i had a, I had a month at home i wasn't off for long you know i think on the spectrum spectrum of breakdowns i couldn't work for a month and of course it stays with you a lot longer than that but during that month at home i suppose uh, was a bit of a lockdown in some ways there was no obligation 
to do anything, couldn't really do anything. Uh, and uh, I returned to the guitar. You know, you kind of look back on your life and think about the things that given you pleasure and meaning. I bought a, uh, it was an electric guitar actually, but then eventually, uh, and this was two or three months um, after this initial breakdown, I started having lessons with a, a very good teacher and now a very good friend in Lincoln called Rob Johns, uh, who's a superb player. And he, he teach you, well, he can teach any kind of guitar uh, playing, but uh, classical was his thing and, and still is mainly his thing. And so I started learning classical guitar, thinking, you know, not knowing anything about it really, but thinking, well, if I could learn classical guitar reasonably well, I'll be able to play any kind of guitar reasonably well. Rob is very well connected and, you know, for 50 years has basically been playing handmade guitars. And so uh, he lent me a handmade guitar when I first went to him for a lesson. And then after some time, I noticed there are lots of handmade guitars, new ones coming through his music studio where he teaches. Uh, and they were by a, a, a maker called Roy Courtnell. And I learned from Rob that Roy had written and published a book, Making Master Guitars, in 93, 94. And as it turned out, Roy lives in Lincoln, or just outside Lincoln, like me. So all of a sudden, I'm having guitar lessons and had learnt that my guitar teacher was good friends with a famous teacher and maker of classical guitars, and the guy lived within a few miles away from me. So um, I, uh, I leapt on it. I saw this as my kind of opportunity to finally do something, make something, you know, use my hands, learn a craft. I borrowed £5,000 to equip the workshop. You know, my dad died, obviously, years ago, and so uh, it wasn't being put to use. So I, I, um, I gutted it and turned it into a guitar-making workshop and started having lessons with Roy Courtnell over the period of six months. Um, this was summer 2017 through to February 2018. Well, that's, that's how I got started, and it was during that time that the idea of turning it into a, a kind of research project uh, for work as well came, uh, came to mind. I probably wouldn't be standing here in this shed with a guitar net talking to you if I hadn't experienced that breakdown because guitar playing and guitar making weren't on the, you know, weren't part of my worldview at that time. But that's how things work out, isn't it? Do you feel the kind of rhizomes or tendrils or threads from this going back? Clearly, you played guitar when you were a kid and you talk about the connection through to your dad and your dad's work and all of that but back to those you know, that time when you were studying buddhism yeah is there a are there connections back to that is there a is there a sort of a, a humanity or a spirituality or something there well yeah you know I, I suppose i i don't want to kind of make too much of it but i um yes there is that kind of meaning I am looking for that kind of meaning, you know, spiritual, religious meaning, whatever you, you want to call it, really. I'm looking for some kind of, or maybe it's just some kind of existential meaning. But I'm, I'm looking for that, you know, the work that I'm doing on the guitars, looking to learn something about myself, looking for time to be alone and to concentrate. There is a kind of contemplative aspect to it, which, you know, if you want to, you can 
pursue. Before I started making guitars, I was going to the Quaker Meeting House. So not Buddhist meditation as such, but I was going to the Quaker Meeting House in Lincoln every Sunday and sitting with friends. And what happened really was that this has replaced that. Not entirely. You know, I'm still a member and I still go to the meeting house occasionally. But this has this has become that hour on a Sunday. What time are we actually? Yeah, Quakers started sitting 15 minutes ago. So, you know, this has become that time where, uh, you know, I'm on my own and try and think a bit and reflect, I suppose. I think it's quite interesting. I have been, you know, sort of thinking about those things that I know about you, the, you know, the, the Buddhism and the, and the cooperativism and the... And now the and now the making and and the you know the crafting, and I've, and I've often thought about you know how we transition from when the time is up on a thing or when it's not up on a thing, but you just incorporate it into your life in a different way, mm-hmm. in a way that kind you know it's it's you've generated some meaning from it and your your body and mind f- feel ready to move to the ne- to a different thing, to a different place, to a different way of thinking or whatever and the activity that takes you moves you know for me I always kind of think about it not necessarily in terms of you about whether it's a constant searching for something because I think I'm constantly searching for some form of meaning and sometimes that's why I kind of struggle with the you know the kind of spiritual I'm I'm not I guess I would class myself as spiritual although I have no formal faith I have my mum's I have two of my mum's cheap rosaries in the in the you know and and there's all sorts of reasons why I have those on my bedstead but at the same time I'm kind of you know critiquing political economy and value and whatever the awful concrete existences that a lot of people have trying to make sense of all of that you know so uh, so I kind of question myself in a kind of well I was doing the homeless shelter and then I was doing the thing and now I'm doing mutual aid and now and then I'm doing whatever you know and I don't necessarily see it as flitting from one thing to the next it's just a kind of well my energy's here now yeah and there's a there's a, i think with those examples you've just given for yourself there's a there is continuity there isn't there there's there is a certain kind of consistency uh, i think with with myself yeah you know people have been surprised when they've kind of learned about the the, the things that i've i've focused on over the years but uh you know there is consistency there and that consistency i suppose yeah. is me <laughs> um there's definitely a consistency from my own point of view you know everything i've done over the last 30 years or so has been trying to meet the same kind of expectations of myself and the life that i want to lead and the meaning that i'm trying to generate from it i suppose you know i well, you know, before this, I, I studied film. I, I, I'm still making films. You know, I'm making one at the moment uh, with a friend. So things don't go away um, just because you kind of stop concentrating on them quite as intensely. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're dropped entirely. And I think that's the same with with the co-op stuff. It was the same with my study of, of Buddhism, which I studied for several years at university. It never went away. You just learn to kind of incorporate it uh, and lend it to other things as well. So the, the you know, one aspect of the, the Buddhism, or oh, we've just had a power cut by the looks of things. Uh, one aspect of the, the Buddhism and even the Quakerism uh, is the aesthetic side of it. You know, I studied uh, Zen uh, at university and practiced it for several years and kind of simplicity uh, in, in Quakerism, the plainness, that's still very much with me and aesthetic 
terms and and that i think comes through in terms of what i'm trying to do with the guitars you know i'm not interested in ornamentation or anything elaborate i'm trying to create most kind of simple lightweight responsive instrument i can you, you know you never drop anything entirely it stays with you in one way or another how much longer are you working on going to be working in the shed today till lunchtime oh we see you know it's it's a beautiful sunny day isn't it so um you're gonna get out can you can yeah. you get out for a walk or are I've you avoiding that this morning I've good lad yeah, I went out um, around the village and we've got an old golf course at the edge of the village that closed down a couple of years ago and they put it to pasture with sheep on. It's uh, it's owned by Jesus College. That, I think it's Oxford, isn't it? It is, um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so they own a lot of the land around here. And of course they, they do. The golf course, yeah. So when the golf course uh, went, well, it folded, basically went bankrupt, there's a covenant on it uh, whereby it has to be used for recreational leisure, that land, or, or for pasture the golf course there are sheep on it so uh, it's better for for walkers of course because they've done a good job of fencing all the sheep in and they've created a nice pathway through it it's kind of gone wild so how long were you out for this morning just half an hour or so seems appropriate government sanctioned exercise yeah saw some um, some Sunday warriors out this morning. We were, we were out for our walk at uh, about half seven till um, yep. half seven till about well, we were out for about 90 minutes, I think. You know, did a couple of the parks in Leicester, but there were some de- definitely some um, there were a fair few joggers going round and round, and there were uh, some Sunday warriors out in their lycra. So I don't know how far they were going to go. No, well, I didn't wear lycra to go around the village. No, no, um, good for you. But it's nice. It's a nice walk, and uh, you get a good view over the city. Oh, awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. You kind of uh, look up at the uh, cathedral on the hill there in the castle that what, built a thousand years ago or something and uh, reminded about what that, that building has seen over the years. Not the first pandemic. No, probably be the last, probably. Uh, the lights have gone off again. Something going on there, isn't there? Do you need to go and be the man of the house and go and check it? Let's see. I don't want to. I don't want to throw myself into being the man of the house. Let's see if I'm, I'm asked to fix it. Because I've got two weeks off, I don't feel compelled to be in the shed all day working on this. So I'll just work until I finish the job that I'm working on. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I don't want to kind of start something and then leave it at the wrong time. So um, I was in the shed all day yesterday, and I'll be in it every day for the next two weeks probably. So no rush. This is. Uh, this is the fifth guitar I've made, and, and I said to the guy that having it, uh, it'll be ready by the end of April. So, you know, it should be easy to, to get to that point. And how do you feel about the pandemic? How do I feel about the pandemic? I'm trying not to feel too decisive one way or the other, or the other at the moment. It's kind of interesting, you know, I'm, I'm obviously following the news and social media and stuff regularly avidly it's a reminder that so many people feel the need to comment on it so many people feel the need to somehow kind of fill the the space with commentary some of which i think is is excellent and some of it is really necessary as well but i certainly don't feel compelled to start offering my views on it i I suppose i'm i'm more interested in how it'll be seen historically really and of course we don't we don't know yet we've only been into it for a couple of weeks you know it just seems far too soon to be 
kind of coming to any conclusions about it. What, what do I think about it on a day-to-day basis? Well, I think that this lockdown is going to go on into the summer in one shape or another. I think I'm um, my family are fortunate that we can get through that because of the work that I do. And I probably wouldn't be quite so relaxed about it if I was self-employed or zero-hour contractor, of course not. So it's it's kind of easy for me to take the long view on it because actually it's not really affected the day-to-day you know Sue's job has been she's been furloughed but the income for the time being at least remains the same it's affected her and uh, Gracie as well who's uh, you know, been studying, she's a secondary school student, she's been at home. Their routines, I think, and their uh, opportunities to socialise as well through school and work has been more effective than mine. I don't know about you, Richard, but I spend most of my weeks in an office on my own in front of a computer and I go out to teach and go to meetings. All I've done is just move out to the house. The thing that I, I dislike most about it is that the work has been moved to the house and I've always kept the work out of the house unless it was the research. I don't have an office at home, so I've taken over the dining room table and I don't like that. It's uncomfortable. It's unsightly, kind of turning your living space into a working place. It gets in the way of other people. Other people don't feel that they can use the space in the same way because I'm trying to work. So those are the things which, you know, I, I suppose are affecting us day to day. And what are you missing? Um, what am I missing? Well, the liberty of being able to go anywhere I want, of course, especially on a day like this. I think if we were allowed, we'd be out in the car and going to the coast or somewhere. But we've got a garden we can use, and it's a nice garden. What am I missing? I think it's too early to say. I, I, I'm, I'm dealing with it fine. I haven't felt a sense of loss yet. If anything, I've got a sense of hope that this will significantly shift the way society operates. Now, whether that is in the next year or two or whether it's in the next decade or two, God knows. But um, I hope that like previous pandemics, this is going to change things significantly um, because, you know, things are fucked. You know, I think about the the, the kind of the, the world that Grace is growing up in. You know, I'm, what, 46 yeah, if I'm lucky, I've got another 40 years. Uh, I hate to think what is going to be happening in 40 years with climate change and, and the kind of politics that we're seeing at the moment. I, it appalls me it, it, and it frightens me. And then, of course, Gracie's got hopefully another 60, 70 years. Uh, and just to think about what she will have to face on top of all that. And so I'm just hoping that this is going to, well, this is a way that will make some kind of adjustment to a future that, just seems shit for most people obviously there's a lot of suffering at the moment and there's no doubt going to be a lot more and and any of us could be affected but some some good is going to come out of it some good already seems to be coming out of it despite everything you know well i think that's uh i'm going to stop recording there (laughs) okay Uh, but thank you for your advice about my nan as well that's a good thing that's come out of it Oh, that's all right. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that's the thing to do. And uh, your nan, your nan knows you very well, and the relationship you have with her, and the time you spent with her. She's not oblivious to all that, is she? So, no. Um, you know, no. You, you said you said everything you need to say.